Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Some of you are growers, some of you want to be growers, maybe you're processors, you know, you're looking to get into the game. And I've been in about five years, and now, besides Hempex Asheville, I'm also the executive director of the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association, and we have 1,100 members across North Carolina right now. 1,100, we have 403 people growing hemp in our state right now. So, we have, yeah, it's good. Oh, it's good. But we got a lot of pressure on us. Because as you know, we were the agricultural state. So everybody's kind of looking, can a southern state that hadn't legalized marijuana maybe figure this out? Figure out how to create a market in industrial hemp that maybe might not exist? And I know one thing when I travel across the states is everybody has hemp fever when it comes to CBD, and rightfully so. But there is still people out there fighting for sustainable solutions when it comes to textiles. Because any of you that are from North Carolina, like I am, I'm from here, my whole family's from Rutherford County, they worked in the cannon mills, they worked in the tanning mills. It was part of the whole way of life down there. But there's a few individuals that aren't giving up on the textile sustainability solutions that include him. And we're real lucky that I could talk this young man, and to come in our way today before he made his way to Farmaid. He made, created the t-shirts and designs for Farmaid, I'll let him tell you about that. But he's been an inspiration to me because he's out there fighting hard on the textile side to find solutions. Do not forget, that still exists, and together we can find a way. So without further ado, I want to introduce my friend Eric Henry, the president from GS Designs. Try to keep up that loud voice and keep the fans going. But we share something in common today. You know what that is? Well, I guess. Yeah. And we're all learning. I, I'm at the ground floor base level just like you are. Let me tell you how I got here. January 1, 1994. Any guesses? Old people in the room. January 1, 1994. Let's try something else here. We'll, we'll get there. You'll figure it out here in a second. Who can tell me, without looking, without guessing, and if you guess and you're wrong, there's a consequence. 
And tell me without looking or guessing where the shirt or the blouse that you're wearing today is made. And if you guess wrong, you have to take your shirt or blouse off. <laughs> so everybody wants to, you know, those hands up real. Those are China, it's China, it's China. Did you hear the rule of Yeah. I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> now, when I ask that, and, and I add to it, 98% of the apparel we buy today is made overseas. So if I look at your labels, it'd be hard pressed. Name Ted, where's your shirt made? Oh, I'm not positive. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I'll make that sure. I'll embarrass you. So, so 98% made overseas. You don't know. Guess what happened in 1994? Come on, old folks. There you go. And what's it stand for? North American Free Trade Association. To me, you know, I've, I've been in the apparel business now for 38 years. I started while I was in NC State in 1978 just printing t-shirts. And in 1978, it was made here. We grow great cotton here. So, I mean, we built this business in Burlington, North Carolina, TS Designs. We had over 100 people working there. We were successful. We were profitable. The banks loved us. We had companies like Nike, Tommy, Gap, for our customers. And when NAFTA hit, within two years, 14 employees. The brands could not get overseas quick enough. So I've been interested in hemp for a long time. Actually, there was legislation many, many years ago in North Carolina to bring it back and it died out in committee. But the reason I'm interested in it, not all the benefits that y'all know it brings to it, but this is an asset that we can grow in the Carolinas, keep it in the Carolinas, create jobs in the Carolinas, and make our community stronger. We, have, we live, I was talking to somebody just yesterday, we live in a global economy. We're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. We're not going to solve our building walls and building tariffs. I'm not going to get on my political bandstand about that. But we live in a global world. That's not going to go away. But North Carolina has some unique assets. We're already doing a great job in growing cotton. Now we have the opportunity to grow hemp. Let's bring those two things together and let's make the textiles that we're in today. We can do that. And the cool thing about it, when you look across the, the country, this is probably the best place to do it. Because even though we've been devastated by what has happened with NAFTA, and we've lost hundreds of companies and tens of thousands of jobs, there's still some infrastructure in place. So a little more history about us and how it got here is once we saw our business was devastated by NAFTA, we reinvented ourselves on the, the philosophy of running a business based on a triple bottom line. Money's important, but also is planet and people. So it's people, planet, profit. From that, we developed a unique print process that I'm not sure that I've known called Rehance. Again, a process that makes a better quality product, has less of our impact. Eleven years ago, we launched a brand called Cotton of the Carolinas, which we buy the cotton from the farmer in North Carolina. 
we convert that cotton, we like to say dirt to shirt. We do it 508 miles. But I think one's the coolest, the neatest thing we do, we do it in a completely transparent supply chain. There's a way you can look at this shirt and basically it'll point you to a map. You want to talk about I'm happy that okay. sounds like wonderful transparency. Yeah. Well, we need to. You know, because I'm, I'm one of those people, again, being in business, as long as I've had to see much has changed, that's happened in the world with technology and things like that, we as a consumer should demand transparency of people that we buy our products. We get our food, we get our clothes, we get our energy. Let's just don't give me a glossy ad and tell me how great it is or whatever. I want to know where it's made. Because what happens when you take the eye off the ball is what happened in Bangladesh five years ago. It's five years ago. Five years ago, Rana Plaza. Any guesses on this one? What? Well, that was, this one is close. That happened prior to that. An eight-story building collapsed. Over a thousand people died. So we can pay people 26 cents an hour to make the clothes we wear. That's what's happened when we don't pay attention to where things are made, and that's when we support companies who focus on one thing, making money. So again, I've been on this journey a long time, and I'm excited to see what's happening, but again, is the first thing I said here, I'm just like you were at the beginning stages. And the sad thing, that's going on here is that because we got all taught up in the hemp marijuana thing and we put the brakes on hemp, countries like China kept on going. And I mean, this is not rocket science, it's nothing new, it's being done every day over there. So I have a, a, a good friend, Guy Carpenter, that started a company with, uh, with another friend here in North Carolina, Patrick. And Guy has uh, a lot of experience in China, lives in Wilmington, fortunately as part of the industrial, North Carolina Industrial Hemp Commission. Uh, but he's just got back from his third trip from China, you know, to, to see, you know, there's the knowledge of doing it there. We do not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to the textiles. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. So anyway, where we are, does anybody know much about hemp and textiles that can help me? What part of the plant do we use in textiles? Okay, where does it come from? Oh, yeah, exactly. I got I got a little bit of show and tell today. So we're interested in that. Stop. Just, just the opposite of what Brandon was doing this morning. She was not interested in this. Uh, we're interested in this. So um, this is a couple of hemp stop plants. And again, hemp like. Uh, description, I have a small farm in uh, Snow Camp, Almax County, and we grow a lot of tomatoes. That's one thing I like to do. But, you know, growing up, I thought, well, tomatoes, tomatoes. Well, come find out there's hundreds of varieties of tomatoes. And, you know, different tastes, different varieties, different things. The same thing with hemp. You know, the, the, the plants, the varieties that we grow for hemp are going to be a little bit different than the folks that are interested in, in oils. Uh, again, not saying you can't make it work, but you gotta, at the end of the day, you have to specialize. So again, we're starting off with the stalk. Um, and then anybody knows what has, has to happen after that? What? No, 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 who said, said Reddit? There you go. Good job, good job. 
So we basically want just the outside of the plow. So I can pass these around if you might want to. That's pretty good. What happens happen next? You got to get it coming. You know, there was a problem a few years. Again, I've been in the industry a long time, and, and hemp's been tried in the past different ways, and they brought in some some hemp fiber that had not been processed well and was not done properly. And essentially, what happens? It messed up a lot of machines. And uh, there's people that are still in the industry, like myself, have been around a while. That, that oh, when you say hemp. They're either you know running out, throwing you out the front door, or something like that. So um, again, this is not rocket science. They're doing it right now, uh, and China's probably leading the way. So again, essentially, this is degummed and clean. And then, uh, guy just called it cottonized, but essentially what we're doing here is getting it at point where we can speed. So this is spinnable fiber now. So going from from that stalk that went there to this right here. There's all kinds of different technologies with enzymes. The challenge that we run in, in the U.S. is we do not have industrial hemp fiber processing yet. So as we look as a company, we will be bringing, uh, we're hoping to bring a hemp cotton t-shirt to the market in 2019. And again, I'll show you this is a hemp cotton t-shirt right here. But what we're going to do differently, what we did with this shirt here, you can do it right today. I can get this fabric all day long from China. Or I can get this t-shirt all day long from China. Uh, and we've been asked for years, well, what about hemp, what about hemp? We have not got involved with hemp because until the last couple of years, I want to build a product that supports the community in which I live in. And this, this, right, this to me is a dead-end product. Because again, what different if I, you know, I can just buy the shirt and bring it in here. So, what we are in the process of doing is bringing in, they also, excuse me, call it slivers. So S L I V E R is just what they call it in the, the, the cotton industry. It's the last thing before it goes to spinning. Um, and these are a couple of uh, samples that actually came out of China. So what our plan is to, in sometime next year, working with Guy and Patrick, we will bring this over. And then once, once and we've already talked to some spinning operations in, in the Carolinas, they're okay with spinning that, so we'll blend it with the cotton, and then we'll start from uh, building it from the yarn up. Again, we want to start educating people, get people to think about it, and start laying the groundwork. So once we can get to... To, you know, a lot of opinions and thought. The issue that's holding up the industrial hemp fiber processing is that this is a lot of money that somebody's going to have to invest. Uh, this is not to, to do it to scale. I mean, there's some people that are doing small scale, which is fine, but for us, we need to scale because we know from a price standpoint, when we make it here in a global marketplace, we're going to be expensive. Yeah. Are you talking five, ten million, approximately? It, it, I hate to guess, but it's multi-million dollar investment. Uh, and, and going back to that, until we get all the regulations at the federal level to the state level, it's, it's hard to get somebody to want to make that investment, knowing that the feds can come in there and muck up the situation. So... Um, I'm not really sure, but it's a multi-million dollar investment. I mean, again, 
You don't have to reinvent the wheel. They're doing this over in China right now. We've got to get our folks up in Washington and get them to do anything these days as pretty much as possible. But get them off. It's in the Senate. I was talking late the other day. It's in the Senate bill. Uh, it's Senate Ag bill. So I think it's going to get through that. We'll see what the House does. We just we need. It's just a no-brainer. Let's get this done. Let's get going. And um, it's going to really help the ability to make green textiles out. Because again, the, thing, the reason we're interested in that, that shirt that's going around, we can do so much better than that. Uh, it can be, have a better feel, um, softer texture, but the main reason we want to add hemp to cotton, it adds strength. So in a t-shirt environment, which most of us, you know, a t-shirt or blouse like those wear, you know, a 100% cotton hemp it's probably going to be a little bit rough and heavy for you. So jeans and stuff like that are great, but in a, uh, a t-shirt like I have on, it's going to be a blend. We'll probably start off with somewhere 75 cotton, 25 hemp, or 80, 20, something like that um, in 2019. So it's, it is a journey. Uh, we just have a tremendous opportunity in North Carolina, and uh, hats off to the work that Blake and, and Franny are doing here, but this is... Uh, you know, it's, as we were talking about earlier, I like to describe this a lot of times as the leading edge and not the leading edge. Because, you know, there's a lot of work spinning your wheels, a lot of dead ends, but we're on the right track. And so, and again, the cool thing about, you know, we're just going to be that one sliver of hemp, which is textiles, and we're in a part of the plant that, you know, a lot of people have thought about using. So this is, um, for somebody like that right down the road, you're focused on another part, we already got a home for your, your other part. So, we're excited to be a part of it. You may have heard the, the, the topic or discussion around microplastics. The main thing I was talking about is one of the things I just became aware of in the last say, year or so. We were actually going down the path of developing a brand called Carolina Blend. And it was going to be 50% recycled water bottles. You had way too much water bottles. Um, and then 50% Carolina cotton. And we developed the brand. We developed the samples, we had 10,000 pounds of yarn before the plug. I was just this young lady saying right here, that's what's happening, and that's why Starbucks is like poured out of straw. In this article I've got, I'll be happy to share it with you, but when you go wash that 50-50 shirt, that polyester gets into the water, and it gets into our streams, gets into the rivers, gets into the ocean, gets into the plants, gets into the fish, and it's in you. It's probably in the water and the beards. Billions of pounds are already out there. Now, nobody's made a connection to health issues yet, but we're putting something in the environment we're not having in our environment. Why, why is this important? Is I think we need to basically, another reason to look at hemp, it's a natural fiber. Natural fibers basically degrade, decompose, and go back to natural elements. So, uh, you know, that's why we, we doubled down on hemp and gave up on the recycled pollen. But that's the thing that just, just they've been talking about for years, but really come up on my radar screen about the last six months here. And again, I think it's another opportunity for, for hemp to come in blending with cotton. And I was talking to this young lady right here, uh, and I've got another contact for you about blending with wool. Uh, and that takes you a whole nother direction in performance of fabrics because wool is basically going to react differently than cotton. It has its pros and cons, and there's civil oil out there, but that's another thing. So let's, you know, how do we take hemp 
and bleed it with other natural fibers. Um, and let's just stay the heck away from the plastics and polyester because I think we've got a big problem with that. The challenge we, we face with today, and I see this in business a lot, is you know, I'll get way off in the weeds here, but we have a system that doesn't tr determine the true value of cost. And I call it negative external cost. And when you, so when you cheat the system, and I use our industry as a fact, our biggest competition is price. Because we're going to make it here and we're going to pay a living wage to you. Our t-shirts are more expensive. So when I go to somebody, and the best example I like to give is true with these that We get a request from our state of North Carolina to make bids on t-shirts. And they go through a very elaborate effort of talking about the quality of this shirt and how it's made and where it's made. I mean, they don't talk about where it's made. They talk about the quality of the product. You can, you can buy a very nice t-shirt made overseas. They don't talk about where it's made or it has to be made in the U.S. or North Carolina or whatever. So right off the bat, we're going to be too expensive. But then I said, the negative external cost is cotton to the Carolinas impacts over 500 jobs in the Carolinas. And that t-shirt that you won that bid with impacted zero jobs. So I got 500 people that are paying taxes in this state here, and I'm having to compete, but it's complicated. It's easy to say, this is $5 and this is $10. $5 has got to be a better deal. Well, not necessarily. We've got to have a system that helps us determine those costs better. You know, that's why I'm drinking out of a glass here instead of like very nicely off me a plastic water bottle here. I mean, it's free, it's great, it's cold water. Why would, where's that plastic going to? Who's measuring that cost of that microplastics down the road here? So, one thing I like to say, and again, I've been on this journey a long time. I've been fortunate to be on this planet for 60 years. I've been in the business 38 years, and again, it stems back to NAFTA. But you know, every day, we have an opportunity to make a choice. The clothes we buy, the food we eat, the energy we use. Start asking yourself, every day we do that, what is the social and environmental impact you're making with that choice? And if you do that every day, the world will be a better place. Everybody, think that the missing link is these people are, are set and ready to go. What we've got to bring to the table is a spinnable hemp fiber, and that—that's you know once we get back there earlier, making that investment to basically, obviously we can grow it, we can harvest it, but how do we process and give it to float around there something that can be uh, blended? And you can be, you can blend it with uh, polyester. You're not saying with not working, we're fine. But again, we're back to we're missing that piece. And to my knowledge, and just my terms of other there's there's nobody doing it on an industrial scale yet. Just you know, more of a uh, Rose, who's the CEO for a Patagonia, was in town it was two years ago, and this is when we were all talking about industrial hemp. And my comment to Rose was, which hemp uh, Patagonia does make a couple of products with hemp. Again, it's all made in China. Um, but I said, you know, what we want to do is get this a little bit further along, but we need companies like Patagonia to step up and take a leadership role here because you need to be pulling like that other end. I mean, Tiss Designs can pull a little bit. It's not like Patagonia can pull a lot more. But, you know, again, making that commitment to grow it here and make it here. But at the end of the day, what drives this stuff is you and I. If you don't like the market, you don't like the product, don't buy it. Stop. Go to these brands that you like, 
said, I don't like that you're going here, but I want you to engage because ultimately they, they want your money. So you got to say, you know, this is how we're going to do it. And it's a journey. I like to say sustainability is a journey, not a destination. we got to start somewhere. But, you know, I, I get frustrated with the apparel brands because they jump on what is hot and sexy right now and hemp's hot and sexy. So there's a lot. I just got back from trade. There's a lot of hemp-related textile products out there. But not a damn one uses hemp as grown textile ready yet. So just don't get all excited and, and go out and buy, you know, that's, I've got a couple of hemp t-shirts. I really don't wear them because, again, it doesn't support what I believe in. I'm, I believe in the plant, but I don't believe in the infrastructure of how that shirt was made. So, again, this is the strongest force and vote that we've got is you as a consumer. So, basically, tell these consumers it's too hard one up. No, this is where I wanted to go, and this is why I'm going to support you. So, I'm glad you brought that. I made me think about that. And not, you know, what's happened to cotton in North Carolina. No, what's happened to cotton in this country here is it's become a commodity traded product. Somebody, somewhere, sets the price for cotton. So, we've got a cotton farmer down in Stanley County, 3,000 acres. State of the art. Everybody in this community is. They got five people to work on this thing. I mean, he's got the half million dollar John Deere harvesters. People from all over the world come look at his facility and how it operates. But because his cotton price is determined by the Chicago Exchange or whatever it is, um, he's actually, because cotton prices are suppressed right now, he's losing money on every acre of cotton he's growing. So let's please don't build hemp to become this commodity that we grow it and then we end up, I think it's over 80% of the cotton we grow in North Carolina is shipped out of this country. Let's build a model different. Let's build a model where we can make sure the farmer is remembered and doing the hard work and not being broke because somebody in somewhere else, I mean, I don't know if you're in recently, because I'm a big coffee girl, I like coffee now, and we're getting ready to do the world coffee prices just plummeted on top of my industry. So as we're trying to enjoy that great cup of coffee, there's people starving to death because the money which we're paying them is not even close to living wage. So we're disconnected. So we got to make sure we build the hip industry when it comes to textile. Let's stay connected. Let's keep. That's why the Cotton Carolinas, we put our farmer right out front. You'll see our farmers support our farm. Our there's more to it than a more expensive t-shirt. It's basically supporting the community here. We need our farmers. And I just hate like hell if we basically develop a product and then turn right around and commodize it, industrialize it, and then ship it out of here and put the squeeze in back. You know, we need to make our, let our farmers make some money. Yeah. yeah. The best model that I know of that basically uh, is an organization that supports the farmer to bring the product to market. So they, they set a price. Um, and, and won't go below that price to make sure that the, the farmers take it. So I would say the Organic Valley model is probably the best that I know of. Uh, it, it basically makes sure that the farmers, because you're exactly right, we've done it with dairy, we've done it with beef, we've done it with cotton. We, we, we screw pretty much everybody in agriculture unless you're a multi-billion dollar. There is a balance. But I think the, the main balance is making sure the farmer participates and making sure the farmer doesn't do all the heavy lifting and then um, it's eaten up by the market and pushed aside and they shop for price.
I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.